Always, no matter what. You have to be paying attention to music all the time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Voice Equals Power podcast, where we explore the big question. How does an artist find their voice? I am your host, Nicholas Krolak. If you like what you hear today, you can keep up to date with my travels through Sonic Space and my website, nicholaskrolak.com, or on Instagram at nicholas underscore krolak. Originally from Chicago, trumpeter, educator, and composer Elliot Bild got his undergraduate degree from Western Michigan University and his master's degree from Temple University, where he studied with John Swanna, Terrell Stafford, and Dick Oates. Recently, he has performed with the great Philadelphia bassist Mike Boone at Smalls Jazz Club in New York City, as well as the 2019 Philadelphia Center City Jazz Festival as part of his new working quintet. He has also performed with Oren Evans and the Captain Black Big Band, Don Braden, John Swanna, Dwayne Eubanks, Tim Warfield, Randy Brecker, Dave Ballou, Avery Sharp, Mike DeRubo, Zakai and Luquez Curtis, Ben Galice, and Pablo Batista. Elliot just finished recording his debut live record with his band The Zone, which will be out in 2020. Elliot Build. What's up, man? Nick Krolak, what's up, man? Not much. Uh, we're just chilling in the in the Wissahickon right now yeah. on a beautiful quarantine spring day. <laughs> right, right. This is day 8002 of the quarantine. 8002. <laughs> yes, we're moving on to 8003 now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Things are good. We've moved on to um, <laughs> uh, bug flower. And yes. Right, right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're all eating cr- crickets and... Um, Condensation from our showers. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I've collected my condensation today, you know. Yeah. That's all I have, right. It's a good day. <laughs> definitely. No, seriously, definitely, it's, yeah. we're not really that far into the quarantine, but it's, it's a it's thing. It's only day four or five. Day four or five. And, yeah. um, you know, before we hit record, we've, we've been walking all through these woods and, and chatting. And um, I don't know if I want st- to... I don't want to start with the quarantine. Uh, I'm sure we'll get there. That's fine. That was pretty funny, though. That was pretty funny. <laughs> that could be like the outreel. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're using bug flower. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, Nick, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I really appreciate no you, thanks you for, texting me. Thanks for hang- hanging yeah. out with me. I always appreciate uh, appreciate your time and appreciate hanging out with you. Um, oh, dude, anytime. I have often- plenty of... Uh, plenty of coffee hangs and everything and it's always yeah. a pleasure dude so yeah you know. i start a lot of interviews off with reminiscing about how we met oh sure which had to have been at temple right yeah i think yeah, so the master's program yeah 
Um, I, I don't think I remember specifically. Maybe it was just like first day of ensemble hmm. and Luis Bonilla's ensemble. Luis Bonilla's ensemble. That's right. Yeah. Who was in the band? It was Jason Dave, Herman. Right. Jason. Yeah. Dave Fahim. Dave Fahim, Matt Scarano, right. and Irene Rieg. Irene, right. Yeah. And then who was playing trombone? Sam. Sam. Gellerstein. Sam Gellerstein. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's right. Right. That was a fun band. That was a fun band. I remember like trying to write some music for that. It was cool. I was like my first, like it was like yeah. I don't know. I was it was my first time out here, and I was like really starting to play with musicians for the first time out here. It was mm-hmm. a crazy experience. At least those first couple weeks. Yeah. You know. Um. Yeah. I remember it being very like a a great diversity of writing styles. Mm. We each brought like a tune to the to the group. I remember it. Everybody being. Everyone's compositions being very, very unique. I definitely agree with that. And Luis wanted us to do that. Yeah, like he did. He, he really encouraged us to, to, to explore our own voices. Mm-hmm. You know, voice equals power, right? Like yeah. he, he was, and we fi- I find that theme. That was actually my what my master's thesis was about, kind of yeah. to a point, right? And like about all how all the teachers really want us to explore that, you know, in their yeah. own different ways. And I think Luis was a, was a great person for that. Like, he, he was just like, he would get mad at you almost if you didn't write, you know? Yeah. But it was really fun getting to know everyone through through their music. Absolutely. I remember that was, that was the beginnings of my my writing. Like, yeah. that that class and then, like, Ben Schachter's theory class and then John Swano's improv class, which was the year before. Okay. That's before you were there. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Is that is that how can I do that? You can. Okay, cool. You can do whatever you want. What was your writing before that experience? There was you, no writing. Really? I didn't write at all. I oh. tried to write I think I had one song I tried to write in my undergrad that doesn't make any sense. Okay. And that was about it. My my whole goal and how I imagined my career going was just as a sideman. I had no desire to write. I had no desire to band lead. And then once I was writing, band leading became a necessity to play the sure. stuff I wrote. Sure, exactly. Yeah. And uh, and I've enjoyed the process and have continued to do it. What about you? Beautiful. Have I, I remember you, uh, you brought some stuff to that. And I remember I played a, a gig or two with your group. And you've also brought your music to to my group and have workshopped other tunes and informal jam sessions and sure uh where did your origins of writing begin well it was kind of similar to how you started grad school where you just were kind of put in the situation you had to start writing like Mm -hmm. that was kind of like that for me in undergrad i kind of i got to school and i went to western michigan university and in my second year, I took an improvis- uh, improvisation and a composition class with Jeremy Siskin, who's mm-hmm. a piano player, lives out in L.A. now, really young, yeah. a prodigy kind of vibe. He's like 28 now or something like that. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. But uh, his class was extremely interesting. I've always always wanted to write, and I actually started with arranging. Like, my first semester, like, I was just exploring, and I remember I had this arrangement of Sandu that was bad. Like, it wasn't good. <laughs> like, it was, like, weird. I tried to, like... Take the melody and like, like try to like do the opposite of each other, and it was like not really counterpoint, so it didn't work. Yeah, and yeah, I remember yeah. like a buddy of mine was like, "Yeah, man, like that's try this." You know, I started exploring like counterpoint, and I was like, "Wow, okay." And then slowly, I like started writing like a blues, and then like had to do it for this class. 
and just found that writing was such uh, uh, an amazing way to explore improvisation, yeah. your own voice, express yourself. Like I could be like, this was mine, you know, and, and I, I wanted to explore that. I just went down a road of that, just trying things and experimenting and having a space for friends of mine and, and colleagues to just try things. You know, so I guess that was the beginning of my composition uh, career. I like how you described it as creating space for your friends and colleagues to explore. I, I think about that a lot too when I write, and even things that are outside of just the mechanics of this harmony and this tonality and mm -hmm. this meter and that, but also a solo order. You know, not just leaving it up to chance, being like, is there a specific thing that I want for this that will sure. increase the impact of the song? Where does it go in a set? You sure. know, is this an opener? Is this a closer? Is this a... Sure. You know, I think all that adds to giving your bandmates a platform to express themselves. So you, your band is, is The Zone. Yeah. yeah. Can you, can you talk, about, talk about The Zone for a bit? Sure, I could talk about the zone. I when I moved out here, Terrell Terrell Stafford, one of my teachers, he was gracious enough to give me a date at the Rite of Swing yeah. uh, on Temple's campus. Happens at four thirty to six thirty on Thursdays at TPAC Temple Performing Arts Center, and it was in October of my first semester. And and to tell you the truth, like moving out here was scary. Yeah, moving to a new city. I was just talking to a friend last night. I sent her an email, and I was telling her about how. I know this isn't exactly what you asked, but it yeah. kind of goes along with that. Like, moving out here was, was the craziest thing. You know, I talked about my time in Western Michigan a little bit. And I felt like if I didn't move out here, I would be in the Midwest probably my whole life. It was a crazy risk to be out here. But I, ha I had to do it. I had mm. the hunger for it. And once, once I came out here, I, I, I knew I needed to find people that I wanted to play with. That was kind of like my first thing. But going out to sessions was difficult. It's hard to find the courage to put yourself out there, mm -hmm. you know. So I did <laughs> a couple times, and I, and I built up my confidence. And I decided to, I roped in a little, some musicians. Uh, I got some musicians together that I felt like I wanted to play with. And uh, it went from there. It's gone through some rotations of people. When my buddy is Michael Hudson Casanova, and Stephen Perry moved out here, it kind of moved into a new phase of the band because I had been playing with Mike and Steve since undergrad and had developed a sound together. Mm -hmm. um, Steve moved from the drums over the vibraphone and I settled on a drummer that plays in your band too, Gustin Rudolph. Yeah. And um, I love playing with Nick Salcedo as well as yourself. And you, like you said, you played a couple of gigs of mine when it was, uh, when I was first happening. We played like a Friday at Chris's, I think. Yeah. But that band uh, has evolved in a lot of different ways. It started with playing my music, all, only my music, which I found to be an extremely difficult thing because I was writing really hard music at that time. Music that was written with different, different musicians and people and personalities in mind. So I had to kind of switch my gears. Philly is a swing town, and it's, and it's also about creative music, but I had to kind of find my balance. And so... The first round of music I was making with people um, was difficult, to be honest, because not everyone was really familiar with Kenny Wheeler's music. Not everyone was really familiar with uh, really kind of the ECM label. 
And uh, that was kind of all the music that I was checking out before I had moved out here. And trust me, I love Blue Note. I love, I mean, Joe Henderson. If I had to pick a saxophonist of all time, I would probably have to pick Joe Henderson to go back and play with. Because um, Kenny Dorham is, I always go back to Kenny Dorham. But as as my as my music evolved and the, the rotation of people changed and I kind of started to realize their values as well as mine, I my music started to change and I was writing a lot more swing music to balance out like what I was writing before and now I'm trying to write some straight eighth music. It, it's been slow, I guess is my point. This process of writing music and having a band, there's so many people out here. You know, we were talking about that earlier. There's a lot of people out here trying to make music, make their career, and have their voice found, and, and make their break, and have a band, and things like that. And so, not saying this town is is difficult to find gigs. I, I it was, you know, I moved from somewhere else, so I had to take what I had, and every every moment I knew I had to learn something from that. So after the first gig was like, okay, I need to check out my music after this gig I was like okay I need to think about my band leading and things like that so slowly after four years of being here I feel like I finally have um, something that's ready to take off you know I recorded some music at Chris's last April uh, that was April of 2019 and I'm coming up to a year on that having that music recorded now and it's like I said it's a slow process but you know you have to grow together with people yeah you know and I think that four, eight, 12, 16, 20 years, whatever it has to be, you know, I think this this process of running a band has been has been crazy. But I, I think I'm finding a sound. A part of it is have the people that I have in it too. So yeah, I don't know. It's been a wild ride with with the band. But I came up with the name from from my old roommate Steve, who I talked about, who's a vibraphonist now, and I, I loved it. You know, I've, I've always been about zones, and I found that like as my music evolve through this process of the different people and, and gigs and things whenever they would happen that what I really wanted was different spaces for us to explore moods and emotions and vibes and and um, um, textures all these different things like the you know I, it's almost like the five elements of music right you learn in middle school like I wanted to to you know uh, dive into those so that I could grab people's attention right you know and that's what R&B music and Motown and and all these different different other styles can do. They can grab people's attention. So I wanted to do that through my music, through these different zones. And I feel like that's the angle I want to to attack with yeah. the band. Very cool. Could you talk a little bit about coming to Philly and making that that choice and sure and maybe some specifics or some if you have any interesting or funny stories about it? Because sure, because I uh, I also came from a, a small town small town scene up in the Lehigh Valley, which is way closer than coming from the Midwest. So I was able to to test the waters a little bit in Philadelphia and New York while in college because it was only like a two-hour drive, you know? So, sure. And I also, I also know a lot of students that are currently in smaller schools that are in smaller areas and I'm always encouraging them to come out to Philly, see what's going on, check out the the jam sessions, even if you're not ready to play yet mm-hmm. at a, at a session. Say they're not ready to play at time yet, which you know can okay. be extremely intimidating. Sure, sure. Uh, even now, right? <laughs> you know, even now. definitely. <laughs> and uh, so I encourage them to just just go there and mm-hmm. ask what the what tunes people are playing. Like if you don't recognize a tune, ask somebody what it is. 
and right. check it out. And right. Just get to know people's names. And, or even check out this podcast because you get to know people. Sure. And people that are, you know, perhaps a little further down the road. So I'm, I'm curi- always curious about, about that that process for, for people and how they approached it and how they, how they did it. Well, I guess I'll just start with my move out here. Uh, I had auditioned at several grad schools. I guess that was kind of the path, right? You finish undergrad and then you go to grad school. I took some time off, which I felt like I needed. I took about a year to kind of like practice, I, you know, and to be honest, I wish I took more. I know I wouldn't be in the same place, yeah. but I wish I took more. And uh, in that time, I really, you know, during school, you kind of like soak up a sponge, right, of all this information. And when you're out of school, you can kind of like, you could squeeze out the sponge and you could fi- kind of, you could really analyze all the things you talked about in school. And that's kind of what I'm going through right now a little bit. But in that year off of school, I had prepped for auditions and, and I won't talk about that process as much, but I ultimately decided to move out here because, number one, it wasn't New York. Mm. I feel like New York is extremely daunting. And I think nowadays you can make a life and a career anywhere. Um, I read this interesting article David Binney came out with that Mike Hudson actually shared with me and uh, extremely informative. I like Dave Binney's music a lot and uh, uh, he had some amazing strategies on how to just live your life out here. You know, he lives in LA, but he was a New York musician for a long time. I think Philadelphia is extremely close to New York. Even though I had auditioned at Michigan schools, I auditioned at Denver school and University of Miami, Terrell really took an interest in me. Since I first met him, it was just kind of like, oh, hey, like I did this camp in uh, Delaware, actually. It was like Clifford Brown Consortium my, in between my junior and senior year of undergrad. And that's where I first met Terrell, and we stayed a little bit in contact. And my teacher, my undergrad, Dr. Scott Cowan, he brought Terrell out to my undergrad, and we, I got to play for him, and we went for drinks, and, and uh, that was an extremely fun time. The, that one-on-one time with, with Terrell really had an effect on on me coming out here. I'm, I'm extremely grateful for him to him for that. And, and ultimately, I decided to come out here because he wanted to work with me. I felt that connection. And I think when you find a mentor like that, you have to kind of go with it. And like I said, Philadelphia is close to New York, and it was, it was attainable. I mean, I wasn't you know, an amazing musician at that point by any means, but I knew that this would be a place I can kind of like slowly figure out, you know, even though I hadn't really explored it yet. Yeah, I feel like that is a really good, uh, 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 one of the strengths of the Philly scene as uh, as an incubator for talent can sure. really allow for the the space without the the money pressure uh, of of a New York, you know, because right. that that can get that can get real intense. Something some things I just really love about Philly. As you know, like I, I, I just hang out at Chris's all the time, and I hang out at Time, and I hang out at these places because I think it's important for community. Hmm. You know, we talk about community so much, but like, I really, for some reason, might have felt that maybe, you know, some weird way. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about like weird phenomenons earlier before we started the podcast, and and this is one of them. I feel like you know humans get drawn to places sometimes, mm-hmm. and so I feel like I'm, you know, here for a reason, I guess. But but along those lines, like. People like Eric Alexander, John Swanna, um, Steve Davis, just to name a few recently. Uh, but even people like Victor Lewis and people like Eric Harland and Rodney Green and Mike Boone, who's a uh, local, everyone knows about Mike Boone. But um, and I, the list could go on, but all these people and so many more, they're open 
to us. Like they come to Philly and they want to hang out, especially people like Eric Alexander. You know, I mean, he was he was so open for for all of us and like hanging. And I remember when Victor North ran the session on Fridays, mm. he would play. It was like me and Victor and Eric Alexander, and I was like, when in the world would I have ever <laughs> come to this point? Like this yeah. is amazing. I mean, there was a point where where I was playing. You know, I would go to Victor's session every week too, and. Uh, one there was one week where Kurt Rosenwinkel was playing, and I sat in and we played Straight Street. It was nice. like Victor, me, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Fareed Baron. Um, I forget who was playing drums. I think it was Aaron Walker, and Madison Rass. I think was playing bass. And it's like, when is that gonna happen for me in New York City? Yeah, that's not gonna happen. But I I can, you know, go to Madison's house every other Friday, and I could play tunes with him, and I can, I can create opportunities for myself. You know, and be genuine in a city where there's a place for everyone to fu- to, to to make it happen if you want it to make it happen. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, well, I think I speak for everybody when I say that we're all glad that you came to Philadelphia and hanging cool, out. Thanks, bro. We all we all like you, and um, you know, like playing with you and hanging out with you. You play in in my band, mm-hmm. in one of the many bands that you play in. I think I was thinking about it the other night and I was like, what, what is it about Elliot that I, I, that makes me want him in my band and for other people too. Hmm. And I was thinking, I think it was perhaps your experience as a writer and band leader Hmm. that, that I appreciate so much in addition to your playing and sound, but that perspective i feel like i feel like anytime i have a like a question about something i wrote like is this working like w- does this work like i can trust your opinion on it and you're not going to bs me and be like oh yeah sounds killing dude well you i know? trust you too and i think that's a big part <laughs> of it it's like you have to trust the musicians that are around you you know sorry please continue um didn't mean to interject i don't know where that was going exactly it's okay. more of a statement than a question that, that reminds me of uh so i i, I played uh, at that smalls with with Mike Boone last year mm-hmm. uh, was I think it was November of no it must have been eight I can't remember but that gig was was crazy for me and I remember before we played the gig I remember Mike Boone telling me I remember him saying you know I I called you for this gig because I can trust you to be in the front line and lead my group because I can't mm, yeah. I can't I play bass. And I and you know, in addition to the fact that he had told me like he appreciates the fact that I'm in the music all the time, like even if you know people can walk away to the bar, get a drink, people can talk to each other on the side of the bandstand, but like I'm always listening, always, no matter what. You have to be paying attention to music all the time, you know, especially someone like Mike who will look up, and if you're not looking at him when he looks up. He's going to be mad, right? Because you're not ready for what's supposed to happen. The music can't keep going, as Ben Schacht used to say, with kinetic energy. I think that... Well, I'm, I'm, I'm flattered. I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing to talk about. You know, I don't like talking about myself a lot in terms of that, but I think that you have to uplift people and their music and always be looking for options. Yeah. You know, um, I think the first person to really turn me on to that was uh, Tyshawn Sori. Mm-hmm. Tyshawn ran a rehearsal when I was at Banff where he he took someone 16 bars. And I'll never forget this. He took 16 bars someone wrote. And it was like, cool. You know, it wasn't anything crazy. 
But he took these 16 bars and he made it like a symphony, bro. Yeah. A symphony. Like, it was like we played the tune and then there was a solo over the tune. Okay, so that was the first like four minutes, mm-hmm. right? Then after that, he took the first two bars and he vamped those. Then we go on, he play the rest of the form. Then he doubled the form. Man, he took these measures. It was crazy, bro. Like, he, he must have made it. We must have played this song. It must have been like 40 minutes. Maybe, you know, I don't know, you know, um, symphonies can be longer or shorter than that, but. But it was really like a 30, 40 minute song after this point, like repeating different sections, doubling sections, uh, diminishing sections, taking things and, and going to, it was a straight eighth tune. So he made one part swing. He made, um, he made one part like duo. He, then he moved the key. All these different things he augmented. So he was like, yeah, play the whole song, but double all the length. Or like, you know, it, it, and, and some of these things didn't work, mm. you know? But as a side man, like we're talking about being a side man, right? Like, you don't want to be overbearing on someone's music. You want to make everyone else sound better. All the time. That's my goal all the time in those situations, is make all of the musicians around me sound better. What can I do? Well, first of all, I can blend with not just the other horn player, but the rest of the band, too. Mm-hmm. You know? And Terrell had turned me on to that. My first experiences with Terrell was him, like, him like pointing to a cymbal and him being like, play with the cymbal. And I was like playing. He was no, you're not with it, and like stuff like that. And it was, and and those that was crazy. And 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 all the drummers I talked to, I'm trying to find out what ride cymbals they're playing, or like, do they play dry? Do they play wet? Do they play? Do they try to accompany you versus are they trying to be supportive? Are they trying to take the music in a different direction? Are they allowing you to take the music in a different direction? All these different values of musicians you need to know on the bandstand, and especially for someone like you, like I know that. You're a very open person. You want the music to be organic. So, and you also value what we have to say. So I'm not afraid to say what I think. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, in someone like Pablo Bautista's band, I'm a little bit more reserved because I know that I want him to lead the band and I want him to tell me what he wants. But also I found that asking questions can be really helpful. So like, I'll ask him questions like, Pablo, like, what do you think about this chord note? You know, I know that he's not a horn player, but I know that like he's gonna know what he wants. Yeah. Right. So you you have to kind of find out for all these different bands, all the people you work with, what their values are, mm-hmm. and and try to support that in the best way you can. Yeah, that's a, a, another reason you know why I have Gustin in the band. Sure. That that's a big part. He is so good at sculpting the story arc of a song. Sure. Which is like you were talking about with 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 Mike saying like that's so hard maybe impossible to do from the bass you know right um whereas whereas the drums have a lot of a lot more control in that regard let me say something about mike real quick like Mm -hmm. i think the reason why mike and i have gotten close and i've been able to play in his band as well as others is because i put in the time and effort with all these people and now with with everyone it's not going to be the same like if you put in a lot of effort and time with someone it could turn out to to things could not unfold like that but this is we have to dedicate our life to this bro you know what i mean like and and you know we all have different things in life we want to do and stuff but i've always chosen being a part of the music over a lot of other things and that's mm-hmm. part of the sacrifice too you know if i'm there every week mike's going to notice oh man like this guy's here every week he really wants to learn so after a while mike you know, send me a message on Facebook and was like, hey man, like you're sounding really great. Can you do this gig with, with me at, at this place? It turned out to be Candice's um, birthday, or like 50th birthday, I think, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I was like, me, Rob Landon, 
and James and Mike and Makai. And I remember James saying to me, like, well, bro, like, you know, you like your plan. That's why you're here. And it's, you know, I, from that point on, he really started to mentor me. Now, did I know that Mike Boone was going to be this crazy of a mentor for me or that I was going to work with John Swana as opposed to, like, Tara all the time? No, I didn't know that. But um, the constant conversation and, and being like, hey, like, let's talk about the solo architecture and let's talk, well, your solo today was like, you're not that great, you know, I think, you know, go listen back, you know, and you'll, you'll find it. You don't, it's not a really great Mike impression, you know, he's the man, but, <laughs> but, um, um, it, it's, it's, uh, that kind of un- unfolded for me, you know, um, I, what was the other, what was the other question? I, for, I forgot, I just kind of went on a tangent because I think it's just really important to talk about yeah. the, how we get to the places that we all have to be. And that's different for everyone, you mm-hmm. know? Um, who do you want to play with? You know, I'm just like talking to the podcast audience out there, you know, I'm like staring at a forest right now, but, but like, who do you want to play with? Yeah. I, you know, I had a conversation with this person when I was playing in Connecticut with my buddy and I, and I was just a random person. I don't even know this person, but I was like, man, like, who do you want to play with? You have to like, f- you have to figure that out and put yourself out there and learn yeah. and take what you learn to different situations, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, I think you know, Goosen does that really well. You know, yeah. you mentioned Goosen. You know, the fact that he plays in both of our bands is 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 interesting because we both value very similar things. Yeah. Right? And that's what you tend to discover when you start playing with all these different people is you're like, okay, that person I think the same way. That person I don't think the same way. But how can I play with that person still? Yeah. You know? Yeah, that, that reminds me of a um, John Clayton um, he has a video that he has online where he's talking about He's answering questions or something like that. And hmm. one of the questions is how, how should you practice, I think was the, okay. or how should you like structure your practice or what should you practice or something like that. Mm-hmm. And his answer was you should imagine your dream gig. Hmm. Like who, what the, what is that? Who are you playing? Like who specifically are you playing with? Right. And practice for that. Sure. And, Sure. For him, specifically, he wanted to play with Oscar Peterson. Okay. So he just shed all that stuff. And, you know, he never didn't get that gig, but that prepared Hmm. him for the Monty Alexander gig. You know what I mean? So his his thing is like, you prepare for this one thing, you might not get it. Right, right. But it'll prepare you for something that's pretty similar to what you want. Sure, sure. Uh, I definitely agree with that. That's an interesting point because I think a lot of people shoot for the stars, which is great. You have to have these goals, right? But at the same time, you have to be realistic. And I think that's also really important. You have to see what's in front of you too and 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 buy into that. Really buy into that. Like, okay, this person really wants to play with me. They might not be this person, but I'm going to do everything I can to like make that relationship better and work on this and work on that. Yeah, I think you said that brilliantly. You know, I think every every person's career and and movement throughout this music is going to be different. So you have to realize like it brings me to a point of like an old, what an old teacher told me about the fact that people are going to tell you things that you about yourself. Like they're going to say you have a great sound. You have you are a great writer. You're gonna, you're this. You're that. You're this. And and it's going to be a common thing after a while. People are going to start saying the same thing. You'll hear like, wow, what you know you. I really like the way you move through the harmony or something like that might be some some other side thing somebody might say but you'll notice themes and then you go okay wow like I can see that I have a great sound and I have great time 
And also they really like my creativity, for example, or something like that. Let's just say those things. And you, you, you nurture these things. And of course you improve on all the other angles, right? But you, you really like start to improve on, on those things. And I think that that's where you really start to develop your own voice, which I think will happen naturally, you know? But through those things, you, you'll gravitate towards musicians that you want to play with. And again, you, you have to like be realistic and go, okay, well, here's, here's where I am. Here's what I put my time and effort into, and here's where I am. So you have to realize that it's kind of like you put all these things together and you, you have your equation. For me, like I went to all of John Swan's gigs and developed that relationship. But deeper than that, like I realized like, you know, after moving out to Philly, like I started teaching at Litchfield Jazz Camp, started being on faculty there, which was an amazing, it been amazing experience, like starting to teach lessons and like being around, you know, uh, teachers that were teaching me the years prior and like sitting next to them in a row. It's kind of crazy. But everyone was saying to me, they were like, hey, you have to meet Oren Evans. And I was like, OK, like, cool. And so I was like, all right. So I, you know, slowly like went to one of his gigs and, you know, he was just it was just kind of like. Like, oh, hey, like, there's just some guy in my gig. Mm -hmm. But now I'm playing in his band. Now I'm yeah. started doing gigs with his big band. Yeah. However that came about, it, it definitely had partly to do with the fact that I had been going to his gigs and had sat in with him a couple times prior to him calling me, mm -hmm. you know. And that, did, did I, you know, did I expect any of that or, like, need that to happen? No. But it, it happened from a collectiveness of a lot of things. And one of them including making everyone sound better and being selfless and trying to uh, uh, rise up together and be genuine. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I guess the truck agrees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Philly. You know, you could be sitting in the Philly, middle man. of a forest and, and you uh, just hear a truck. And there's a honk. random random truck. Right. Yeah, I think I think you spoke a bit about the importance of being a member of the community, an active, participating member of the community. Right. I I try to impress that upon the a lot of younger musicians. You know, go out, get out of your, you know, insular school. It's very very easy to just stay with your friends and people you're comfortable with. I think that is kind of related to the your your move here and sure. what a risk that was. It is a risk to get out to jam sessions. It's a risk to go out. It's a risk to, you know, put yourself out there, but there really is no other alternative. So we are in in the quarantine, coronavirus quarantine. We are in the quarantine, yep. So let's let's talk about it a little bit. Like what how's okay. it, how's this been how has this been for you? How how are you how are you dealing with it? You know, we're all I we've all lost like all our gigs like overnight. Right. Um for at least I don't know how how far how far out are are you gig-wise? Well, slowly things in April are getting canceled. Yeah. But yeah, I think same. I think I think the ultimate thing here, man, is is that none of this is guaranteed mm -hmm. like none of these gigs it's it's all you know i i rarely ever say like grateful i rarely ever say that word because it's four times like this mm. you know yeah and uh 
it's it's you know we were talking about my undergrad and coming up but like but man like I really came from like not knowing how to you, you know do place music at all even like in high school like I, I, I it was a struggle so to be here right now is is amazing you know and I think we just have to get back to the fundamentals of of life even you know and just realizing like why we're in this and and that's what I've been doing I've still been listening to a ton of music I've still been listening to your podcast for example I've still been reaching out to friends talking about music and discovering and I know a lot of people have taken to social media I don't I haven't done that mm-hmm. but I think it's been okay so far. You know, I've, I've transferred a lot of things to Skype and Google Hangouts and Zoom and whatnot um, because just how it has to be for now. You know, in terms of teaching. But like I said, none of this is guaranteed, and so I'm 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 doing fine. Like I'm I'm not really like trying to freak out or anything. I'm just like trying to take it one step at a time and still grow and not let it affect anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's that's. What we all got to do, and um, I was talking to to Gerald Veasley the other day at a meeting. I love Gerald, man, yeah, what a what a what a what an amazing spirit, man. Yeah, I know you had him on your podcast before, and it's amazing. I haven't listened to it yet because it's a long one. You should check that one. It's out. a long it's one, so but he's but he could talk forever about such yeah. amazing. I I really appreciate Gerald. He's someone, another person on on in this community that has really advocated for us, man. Like he really yeah. wants to listen to what we have to say and that and that's such a brilliant thing about him as well as like try you know he wants to make you know music with us and like and and all, uh, you know so he's he's the man and I, and I think a lot of people especially in school like don't really reach out to people like that like and that's not like sending a text message like oh hey I'm this person but like you have to like this is a people business too you know we've talked a lot about these different things today but you know you have to Put yourself out there. I, ho- I hope people can like kind of hear that and make it happen for themselves like that. But Gerald's someone you definitely want to meet. He's definitely an advocate for this community and he does so much. Um, so yeah, shout out to Gerald, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I was talking to him. I mean, maybe about a week ago. Okay. Before the quarantine really started, right when things were just starting to get canceled. Okay. You know, he just persistently kept positive. And I hmm. really appreciated that, you know, and for every everything that was like, oh, I lost this, but right. now I gained this time to refocus on. Ah, he turned it thing. around. You I know? love that. And yeah. yeah, we had a really great conversation, and uh, you know, made me feel a lot better about th- about the whole thing, and you know, forced me to think about, you know, for example, I'm trying to step up the amount of podcasts I put out during this un defined time sure you know for people to check out for you know maybe to help with their sanity to have something else to do or um help strengthen or maintain the the community bonds uh sure that we have and also for my own sanity right sure (laughs) sure uh but you know i have a whole bunch of time now so uh i gotta i gotta use it in some way so i gotta i gotta Sure. You can you can use it freaking out about the news and whatnot, or you can put it to some use. Sure. What is what's something that that you really appreciate 
about the younger generation of players? I know you get to see a, a bunch of players at younger players at Litchfield and um, hmm. and and around town. Uh, you're frequenter of the jam sessions, so you, I'm sure you know a lot of the younger cats pretty well. And what is what do you what is something that you really appreciate about them? It's an interesting question. I appreciate the fact that a lot of these younger students are, especially in a city like this, like still trying to play with each other and and grow together, you know, even though it might be daunting, right? And reaching out to people that they want to play with, you know, and I still think of us as like a younger, younger generation, yeah, I definitely. think. So what threw me for a loop on that question was thinking like, okay, like, I'm thinking about people younger than me, but you know, I'm o- I'm only 26, about to turn 27. So like, I feel like I'm sort of in that younger generation, uh, and I'm not trying to make it about myself, but I think at all different levels. I guess my point is that all these different levels of people and age groups and and, uh, and levels of players, everyone's really trying to put themselves in a position to play with better players, um, like. For I can I can name specific people, but I I just think that that's extremely important. Putting yourself in in especially just people that I see out. I'm just talking specifically Philly, Jesse, and like a lot of uh, musicians our age. Like we have to put ourselves in situations that make a, make us uncomfortable. Do I see everyone doing that? No. But I appreciate the people that do and and are taking the right steps. So I guess you can kind of see like the cream of the crop floating, doing that kind of stuff. I think in terms of younger and younger musicians, um, everyone's pretty pretty hungry. I think a lot of people like really like the music, and there's just so many people that want to learn about it, which I think is like fundamentally an amazing thing. I think also younger musicians, we have a responsibility to like learn about it like just fundamentally we 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 have to so it's it's great to see especially from campers at litchfield who are just like really trying to like you know there's it goes at all levels right like uh, my buddy had asked me to come do like a small session late at night when i walked in the room it was like a mixed generation of everyone like i was you know there was a kid who was you know a 16 year old tenor player who was amazing with you know, one of the other faculty piano players who was in his 40s. Who, and, and that collaboration needs to happen more. Um, I, also, I also appreciate the younger, younger generation with just being trying to be good people. You know, I think that's extremely important, and I think everyone's figuring that out at their, at their own pace, which is, which is a beautiful thing. So, yeah, I don't know. And, and thinking about us as, like, a younger generation... You know, we—I guess I'm turning it around, but we all have to uh, um, really want to be a part of this community. And I think some people do, but I also don't see everyone. So that's also interesting. Interesting, just something to say. Like I think we, you know, we all have to want to be a part of it. So I—I I, I really like the the younger generation, but I think that there's. Not to take it in, in I, I want to take it in a different direction, Nick, I'm sorry, but, you know, I, I remember having a conversation with Tim Warfield, who you've had on this podcast, where he said, 
when we when we played a gig together, we talked about how sometimes there's a generational gap. Yeah. So I really love the younger generation and our hunger and and what we're doing, but at the same time, like, there's information that we need to figure out. That is, it's just we live in a time where it's a little bit harder to figure out. So we need to we need to find a way to to find that and go through situations that that teach us that stuff. So I think I think we could all do uh, uh, more to to help with that yeah um there's an um another question that i ask a lot of my guests on the show because it is a um a particular interest of mine okay and it's a very vague question and you can answer it however you interpret it but cool. uh i'm interested in how people hear are there how, how their process of hearing works like what are you listening for in say, this could be one one way to interpret the question. In 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 a situation where you're just thrown into a song, you have no idea. Like, how okay. do you navigate that, or how do you listen to a, a record, or anything? Like, how how hmm. how does that the act of listening and hearing work for you? Well, listening to a record, I think a lot of things you have to do for that is you have to listen to the record a lot of times. I'll say that one more time. A lot of times. How many times? <laughs> a lot of times, right? <laughs> so, you, you know, and, and I think I think Dave Liebman talked about this, but a lot yeah. of a lot of people talk about you have to listen to every instrument. So you listen to a record five times, let's say it's a quintet, you listen to only the trumpet player, only the saxophone player, only the piano player, only the bass player, and so on. I think that's a way to approach listening to a record. I mean, I love music and I listen to a lot of music, but have to go back to the same things to keep studying them yeah so uh and trying to mimic that you can't mimic something you only listen to one time so i think just listening to something a lot of times where it really starts to become part of you is extremely important i think being thrown into a situation where you don't know the song is a very difficult one especially for someone like me who you know my ear i had to come a long way with my ear man like i was telling you earlier when we were walking through the west hick and like I couldn't even hear a C. Like, if somebody played a note on the piano, like, I couldn't really hear that. And, like, I'm blowing it up for myself right now. I want people to know that. But it's, like, it's, it's, so, you know, that that's, like, the, the rock bottom, right? You, like, play just one note and somebody can't hear it. So, like, you know, coming from that, like, it, it's, in any situation for that, for me, is especially difficult because I want, I need to be able to, wow, that's that's a tough one. Yeah, man, I, I, I know it's a tough question, and I ask it because, you know, I, I'm in the same boat. Like, I'm, sure. my ear has been my weakest part hmm. for for a long time, and I'm still working real hard to get it, get it up to, up to a level that I want. Sure. And I think a lot of it was for me personally. A sure, lot of it was, was because. Um, the method of teaching a lot uh, hmm. a lot of the time is 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 just like theory based it's not really like listening based right right it's just here are notes that sound good over these chords do it so it's like it's very shape oriented and um i see it as kind of like like a like a paint by number 
or like a geometric kind of thing where you're just applying shapes to symbols and it, and it works. It's kind of how we learn, right? Like we learn yeah. through school kind of like that. We're just like fed information then we have to regurgitate it, right? Yeah. Music is such a different thing than that. Yeah. And you have to just go through it. Like you have to like, like my point is I guess like talking about like not hearing a note on the piano, right? Like I had to go through that. And then mm-hmm. the next time I got a little bit better. See, you, you're, it, it's going to happen. It's just how you recover, I think. Yeah. You know, I think um, something that I've really tried to nurture is just my overall listening. Listening for rhythms, thinking about how people interact with each other. Listening on records for those details and trying to see when I come to those moments on the bandstand, how can I react to them in both a direct like copying or in a developmental kind of way. Mm-hmm. So there's like multiple levels of listening, just not just you know, the notes that you're actually hearing, but, like, how can you elevate something that you're hearing in the moment? Yes. I, I think that that goes back to, like, what you are saying about putting yourself into uncomfortable situations or mm. situations where you'll grow. Right, you get beat right. up a little bit, but right. you'll grow from it. And I think that's Man, the same thing right. with, with the... So many, dude. But you get, yeah. you get knocked down, but you have to come back up. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, like, we're talking about the younger generation... I think I think it's it's tough to recover from situations like that happening. Mm-hmm. It's really tough for our for our ego and our pride. Yeah. But you have to put that aside, I think, you know. Plenty of, we're going to fail more than we succeed, right? Yeah. You know, and and people talk about that, but it's so true, man. It's so true. And you know, to to the point even where like you have to you have to just make a best best scenario I could think of for like listening. You know, I go back to I go back to Orrin Evans because he's the ultimate listener, man. Everything he plays is like derived right from what you're playing. It's almost like, you know, hearing Herbie's uh, Herbie Hancock interviews talking about playing with the second quintet, right? Mm-hmm. Something Miles played. You know, he would play a chord and we have a wrong note in it, right? But then Miles would play something that would make it sound yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. You know, so ultimately, it's about like fundamentally, like that is the ultimate listening. Not about like getting the right note or like yes for specific situations yeah of course but that that story is like just like screaming that to myself in my head because it's such an interesting thing you know and I've seen it happen to people you know on the scene sort of like an unforgiving situation that you run into because you can't hear a song you're mm-hmm. put in a situation and sometimes I try not to put myself in those situations just because like man they can be they can be grueling but it's also like really important you know. Um, I guess I'll tell a story. So I, I went to Orange Gig at Paris Bistro like last month, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I walked in the club and I was standing in the back and it was literally like not two minutes that Oren went, uh, mm-hmm. Ellie, is that you back there? Like, come on up and play. And my immediate thought went, oh no, mm-hmm. like, what are we going to play? And so I went to the back and I got my horn. And he started playing a tune and I heard it from his, I know his music. So I, I heard this tune. And I was like, okay. So I went up to the bandstand. He hands me a chart. Now, that's more than like a lot of people are going to give you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But that's just kind of the nowadays vibe, you know, I guess, where it's like, okay, that could happen, right? But so he hands me a chart, and then he finishes the chorus. Not even like four measures later. So I'm looking at this chart, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I have to really just rely on instinct at that point and play what I think is the form and what I believe are the colors of the song and do my best to like make my way throughout it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it went okay. 
those situations teach you so much and you, and you improve a little bit every time. So the next time I get to a situation like that where someone's like, hey, like come play or I'm in a situation where I'm uncomfortable, I'm really just trying to put myself in just a little bit better of a situation. 1% yeah. better this time. Mm-hmm. 2% better this time. So that hopefully like I can start to feel just like really comfortable in whatever situation I'm put in. But ultimately like... Y- you you can't rely on like what licks you practice. You can't rely on all these other things. You have to rely on like pure listening and yeah. and to what everyone's doing around you and just you know do the best you can. But but those situations like help elevate you in that way. You know because yeah. you really have to. You're exposed in that way. And if you fall and you fail, like I mean that happens, but. It's, you know, again, that that's part of it, you know, but you come back and most likely somebody will give you another chance too. Yeah. they'll be like, you know, it's like, you know, for example, like, you know, we were talking about your band, right? And we were talking about when the first time we met, like, I'm going to bring a full circle because I love doing that in conversations. But, you know, I, I remember going, I was thinking about this this morning. I remember going to Chris's and you were playing trio. You were playing with Ben Carp and you were playing with Donovan Pope. Donovan, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember, and I, I didn't go to play. Yeah. I think a lot of people go to play. Yeah, Everyone's yeah, like, yeah, I'm going to go sit in. I'm going to yeah. play, you know. No, like, I went to go hear you yeah. and your music because I liked you as a person and I liked your music. And this, I guess, is when you were really starting to write because you were really turning out stuff at this point. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I remember you were like, hey, like, you know, come play. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, like, I, ca- I can't. I can't, man. Like, you know, I'm just here to, like, hang. And you were like, no, nah, no, please, please come, you know. And um, in, I think you had charts, but but you we played three, which is the jam. Oh yeah, yeah I love yeah. three. That's the one for sure. That's that's the that's the golden ticket winner for me. <laughs> um, and and uh, I do want to play that with my band eventually at some point. Yeah. I definitely please, that's please that's do. the song. But um, but I'm just I'm just thinking about like that time and just like you know um, what what do you think about that? What do you think about that experience of of uh, that day, I guess. What do I think of it? Yeah, we were, we were like yeah. that experience of like having, like the other side. I've, I've been talking about like sitting with people and like learning and listening and and, but like from the other side of a band leader having someone sit in, like what was going through your mind? Um, I I I haven't thought about that in a while. That was like one of the one of the first gigs that um. I think I was preparing. I think that was like a rehearsal for my recital. Oh, interesting. I think it was, or maybe I think there was like a couple of Chris's dates that I used as like either workshops or um, rehearsals for the recital. The reason why I'm asking is because a few months later you hired me to do a quartet gig and quartet gig. It was like you, me, Connor Saltzer and Silas Irvine. And we Where played. We played. We played <laughs> you have Chris's. Such a good memory. <laughs> it was. It, we played Chris's, and I think Mackay sat in, and Mike sat in. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do right. remember that now. And the reason why I mentioned that is because after that moment, I thought I had I had lost the gig completely, because I remember I was so like you're talking about you know positivity. We're talking yeah. about like why. But I was so dark after that gig, man. Oh, after, I was the, so after da- sitting in? Yeah. No, no, no. Not sitting, but after the quartet gig, the first oh. gig. Because I put so much pressure on myself uh-huh. to play good and, like, lift up your music. Yeah. And at playing quartet is tough, especially yeah, as a yeah. brass instrument. Like, really trying to, like, hold your own throughout the whole 
four-hour gig. Yeah. And I was struggling at points. So I was really like, man, he's not going to call me back. And then... Lo and behold, <laughs> a few months later, like you know, I started playing with your normal group with Cats, what? with John Cats. But I'm I'm just curious about all that because it's like it's a process, and I think that can kind of set us back almost. Like I'm talking about my process about mm-hmm. these different gigs, like how I felt emotionally. But yeah, you know, yeah. Wow. Go ahead. Um, I don't really. I mean, I like like I just said, I didn't really remember that quartet gig like at all. You had to re- <laughs> Good. remind me. Um, but yeah, I I. I don't recall it anything being weird or anything sounding bad no it's okay it's just interesting because like i struggle so much with like mm-hmm. the emotional part of this music yeah and i think everyone does too Everybody. and it's just something that people we don't talk about that much you know talk like the fact that like i was going through so much turmoil in my head like i messed this gig up he's not gonna call me i i messed up this melody like i was cracking notes i was airing out on notes like my souls didn't sound good like yeah all these different things uh-huh. But it all works out in the end. Yeah. I, I feel like just in general, things are never as good as you think they are when they're good. And they're never as bad as you think they are when you mm. think they're bad. That's one. And two, even when you... I, I try to tell younger students this a lot, at especially at jam sessions or even at a gig or whatever. When, when you feel like you had a bad night, probably nobody's going to remember by two days from then like nobody's thinking about you they're all thinking about like how bad they did right you know right. everybody's going through that all the time right and that's right. that's a thing i do at um either in jam sessions or like on gigs where where somebody you know something happens and everybody's like apologizing mm. like i never apologize Interesting. I uh, definitely apologize I really sometimes. No, no, I definitely <laughs> apologize sometimes. Yeah, but yeah. like, but like, um, I I just don't think it's it's productive. You know, it happened. Mm. Okay, let's play the next one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. basically, everybody like something happened, and everybody thinks that they caused it. So, like, what is one more person adding to that mentality gonna gonna accomplish? Right. You know, and so like, I won't take blame for it. I, or I won't be like, oh, I'm sorry, and I, but I also won't like blame anybody for it. Like something weird happened. Something right. weird stuff happens. You know, everybody. As long as everybody comes together at some point, hmm. you know what I mean. As long as people like, oh, op- you know, sure, put their antenna up a little bit, right? More and, we, and we talk about it. it. We talk, we talk about, about it, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that like we could all strive to do better. I think, mm-hmm. like, really talking to each other about the music. You know. Yeah. I remember specifically, we were talking about sessions, right? Like, just putting yourself out there and, like, for younger musicians. I don't know if I really answered this question, but, like, I remember uh, pretty recently there was a, I was playing Softly as Morning Sunrise. Love that song. Mm-hmm. Classic jam session tune. We were playing, it was me, uh, James Santangelo, Byron Landum, and I forget who was playing bass. Nathan Pence, maybe? And I, maybe a saxophone player, I can't remember. But we were playing that song, and something weird happened after the bass solo. Like, it went almost, like, to the top. It was at the top of the form, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether to trade. Mm-hmm. I didn't know whether to give Byron a chorus. And it, I don't think he wanted one. So I, I, couldn't, I couldn't figure out what was going to happen. And so I kind of let the, the moment go by. Everyone was, was kind of like a weird situation. We ended the song, and it, it happened. But I remember I was like, yo, James, can we step outside? And he was like, sure. 
So we 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 were out, we were outside talking, and I was just like, "What happened? Like, what what did you think I was gonna do?" Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Well, I thought you were gonna do this. I thought you were gonna trade, or I thought you were gonna go to the melody." I forget what he said, but it doesn't matter. The point is that we were talking about it. Yeah. And the next time I run into that exact same scenario, I know what I'm gonna do the next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think we need to like put it away in our like musical bank of like all these situations that we run into and not make the same mistake again, or at least just like be, you know, open and, and looking at each other, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that that like conversation is something that we could have more. I'm sure that, you know, all of our heroes were having those conversations after gigs or after sessions. I'm sure of it, man. What, what is on the, horizon for you i know that the coronavirus situation is is kind of taking everything by storm obscuring our 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 vision of the future very um but what 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 kind of things you got well you know i uh a couple different things i'm trying to get some business stuff off the ground definitely been something that i've been exploring you know i've mentioned this that during the podcast that i don't really like to talk about myself that much but I'm I'm getting it together, getting a website. I think it's gonna be elliotbuildmusic.com, cool. which is very cool, exactly. Uh, and slowly working on my record, trying to find an artist that I like. You know, I really wanted to say something, and I and I, whenever and I, I love the music. I don't feel like even if I release it from a year from now that I'm gonna like the music any less, which is really a good feeling. You know, especially as an artist, where you're like, wow, like I can listen to this and like not. And, and enjoy my own playing almost, which is an amazing yeah. thing. Um, we talked about the zone. I think we're going to be playing at the French Quarter series in April, late April. Hopefully, some more things on the horizon um, with that group. I have a couple gigs with Oren Evans um, at Smoke and at Chris's and at the Kimmel Center in early May. Yep. Hopefully, that will happen. Um, playing at Smalls with, with Mike Boone again. Hopefully, Litchfield will be happening. I'm really trying to ride the wave. I'm trying to, like I said, I'm really, you know, I've, I've, we were talking about, uh, uh, I forget exactly what we were talking about earlier, but, you know, I've, I realized that I've, I see the people in front of me that I want to be playing with, and, um, so on the horizon, I'm, I'm trying to learn all their music. I'm trying to, to be prepared for any situation that I might find in with these specific people, and I'm trying to put myself in the best situation possible for that and um, taking it one day at a time, 1% better, trying to learn more. We'll see how it unfolds. I'm not trying to rush things. I think, uh, you know, we talk about goals. I think a lot of people try to just tackle the world as quickly as I can, you know, but I'm I'm just, you know, just happy to be here and working with everyone that I'm working with and, and um, I'm trying to keep that going. But like I said, nothing... Um, is ever guaranteed so it's just a crazy time right now I'm trying to put my foot down keep keep moving forward keep striving keep keep pushing and, and finding my voice and and uh, finding the power in that and uh, I don't know I'm just really I'm just really excited I guess I could say you know what I mean like mm-hmm. you know I, I talked about being dark earlier and struggling with a lot of those things in music and and just excited man i know like everyone's kind of like nervous about all this stuff but i'm excited man like let's let's see what happens let's see what happens so that's kind of where i'm at with it yeah man 
Ellie Build, thanks for hanging out with me. Oh, thank you, Nick. You're you're the man, dude. It's a beautiful. Thank day. you. And we'll see you oh man, glad that we're out. Honestly, I'm glad that we're yeah, out yeah, and yeah. not like in in my house, yeah. you know, or in your house. So yeah. Um, thank you so much, man. I, I uh, hope to be uh, on the podcast soon. Hopefully, if as things develop down the road, and looking forward to hearing what everyone else has to say. And um, thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Voice Equals Power podcast. For me, this series is a labor of love. My goal is to help document the making of jazz history in this moment. If you have any suggestions about who you would like to hear on the show, drop me a line. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, your voice is your power.